Hey everyone, welcome to the Coach V Show. Hey, we're going to be discussing some pretty good football topics tonight. Uh, you know, from old news to new news. Uh, you know, I'm going to provide some of my opinions. Uh, you know, I like to use a lot of facts as well. So, uh, but everything is going to be coming from a coach's perspective. Uh, so you're going to get uh, an insider's view, whether we're talking about on the field, off the field, meaning recruiting and, and, and things of that nature. So buckle up and enjoy, and uh, here we go. So the first topic uh, that I want to discuss, you know, last week I kind of I went in depth and talked about, and I'm, actually I'm going to do a quick recap. Last week, uh, last week's show, I talked about two topics, uh, and, you you know, I just so you know, this is my second show. I tend to uh, be very detailed in what I'm talking about. So I don't normally just gloss over a topic in just a few minutes. I kind of go in depth about how I feel about it. Uh, so one of the topics I talked about was Coach Prime because it was the first time I really got to talk about it. There's been a lot and I'm going to cover a little bit more because there's so much to it. Um, I talked about uh, the SC and the, and the Oregon loss. Uh, I talked about his uh, jacket that he wore that had Coach Prime on it instead of Colorado. Uh, the Do You Believe uh, calling out at the media. Um, you know, and then the second topic I talked about was, um, you know, I, my question was, who was the best team in college football right now? Uh, go back and listen uh, to that to that episode. And then you will, uh, you know, you'll be able to hear my thoughts on that. Um, there's a kind of a little bit of a scandal going on with that team right now. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, well, I, and, and I, and when I'm talking about best teams or something of that nature, I am always using numbers and statistics and percentages. I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of algebra and all of that mess, but I do like my statistics and percentages. Uh, one of my favorite all-time shows uh, was Jamel Hill and Michael Smith when they used to do Numbers Never Lie, and then they changed the name of it, and then eventually both both of them were pushed out of ESPN. But that was one of my favorite shows because they did everything based on numbers. And I do know that numbers have numbers can be skewed just a bit here and there. I do understand that part. Um but I, I absolutely love that show. Um, I wish somebody would do something like it again, but I loved it. So I used a lot of statistics to break down why. <clears throat> and so when I talk about those things, I'll be doing the same thing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and get, get started here with, uh, I'm going to kind of go back into the Coach Prime deal. And then I want to talk about kind of where we started and where we are now, uh, meaning if you followed the college football season from the very beginning, you saw all the media coverage. Um, and, is, and, and I'll go back to, you know, it's, again, please go back and listen to the first show. But, you know, I'm, I, I kind of mostly grew up um, in my teen, late teens. Uh, matter of fact, I'll take that back. In my early 20s, um, I started becoming a, I became a huge Florida State fan. So I know a lot about Prime, a lot about Deion Sanders, uh, Ward number two at Florida State. Always did want one of his practice jerseys that used to be for sale because he just had a plain old number two on. And this back before all the Nike was on there. And, you know, there were no 
they were just plain old jerseys and they used to, they actually sold it on the website. And I remember that and I never could buy one because it cost so much money. Uh, and I used to love that, just that, that single number, right? That single digit, um, you know, and, and so I'll kind of go into, um, you know, when you're talking about the media coverage that happened, it, it was really hard for me because they pushed it in our faces so much that it was like I found myself kind of not turning against Prime, but also almost saying, I don't even want to watch this. When you got ESPN and FS1 both showing up in Boulder on the same day, I'd never seen that before. They always found a way to choose two different games. And it was, you know, you got game day there. You got Big Noon Saturday. Both of them were in Boulder. And it was just constant of the advertisement of Colorado TCU, Colorado, Colorado State. Um, it got to a point where literally that Saturday morning of that Colorado TCU game or whatever, whichever game it was where I want to say it was Colorado, Colorado State, where both big, where both shows were in Boulder, I actually turned the TV off. That's how nauseating it became. And um, the funny part is, is that's where you started. And now after losing to Stanford, after leading 29 to nothing at the half, and finding a way to lose to a one and four Stanford team, albeit on the road, all of a sudden, they ain't talking about him that much. It is the perfect example of what have you done for me lately? Because that is the media, the media's way. Make us money. Give us the ratings, which equals money. But when you're not, well, okay, now we're going to wash our hands of you. And, and I, I will say this. I actually love the fact that somebody like Stephen A. Smith and uh, Shannon Sharp, they aren't just, even though they were on the sidelines and, you know, it's, a, it's, like, it's like a Laker game at these Colorado games that they actually got on TV and criticized him. And Prime did not get defensive. He actually welcomed it. So I'm, I'm like, okay, I can, now that I can respect. And I, I guess I shouldn't expect anything different from Prime because he comes from that, that old school. He, come, he actually, he, he's, a, he's a good blend of old and new, uh, but he comes from that old school um, where you can get in my face and 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 tell me I'm I'm effing up, and I'm not going to be bothered by it. I'm going to be I'm actually going to get better from it. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but you just you just never know. When I saw them criticizing him, I said, "Ooh, this how is this going to go?" And then when I saw his response, was like, "Okay, all right, Prime, I can I can respect that." But nonetheless, it's funny how we went from being pushed and pushed and pushed in your face to a nauseating level. And then again, I, 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 like I said on the first show, I have no issue with, you know, losing to Oregon 
and losing to SC. And matter of fact, I came out of the SC game with more respect for them because without their two best, two or two of their best players, they actually put up a pretty good, not not pretty good, I mean, a great fight towards the end. Uh, they just got way behind, but I'll give them a lot of credit for that game. And, you know, OU, yeah, they were outmatched. I mean, we see what happened with OU in Washington that OU, I mean, not OU, sorry. Uh, UO is um, honestly one of the top 10 best teams in the country. So really no embarrassment in that loss. It was just all the talk that went with it. Uh, but the Stanford loss, now that, that is embarrassing. Not embarrassing for last year's Colorado, but we, we all know last year's Colorado is completely gone, right? This is a whole new Colorado program. So I'll be interested to see uh, because, you know, when you when you look at the rest of their schedule, man, that's that's uh, that it could get rough. It could get real rough. They got the next five games. Um, they could actually lose every single one of them. So you are talking about here. I am pulling up the schedule right now. So excuse that little blip of noise. So they got UCLA this, uh, no, that was, so they got a week off this week and then they're at UCLA. They got Oregon state at home, Arizona, which Listen, man, the last time I remember Arizona football being really good, I'm really trying to think. Did I, am I missing some years in there? Because I, 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 go, I go back to the early 90s, 92, 93, when they had Desert Swarm. Teddy Bruschi was their linebacker. Um, and for whatever reason, I know their four DBs were really good. They were on the front of, I want to say, Sports Illustrated. And whatever reason, I remember Brandon Sanders. For whatever reason, out of all four of them, I don't know why, Brandon Sanders is a name that I've never forgotten. The man can walk through my front door right now. I wouldn't know who he is. But whatever reason, for whatever reason, I've never forgotten the name Brandon Sanders. And I want to say he was their free safety. But this Arizona team is actually, uh, actually pretty dang good. So surprising enough, that should be a really good game because I feel like that's two teams that are probably pretty equally matched. Um, you know, I'd probably get an edge to Colorado, and I'm only saying that because unless you live in the state of Arizona or you follow them, nobody's probably really seen them play unless you're, it's your, unless it's your job to watch them play. Now, I'm sure the Kirk Herb streets of the world, they've seen them. I'm sure, uh, you know, the analysts, that that's their job to watch. I'm sure they watched them play. I haven't seen Arizona play, okay? Um, but nonetheless, you know, they laid it to Washington State. Washington State is another kind of a, a joke team or a joke program uh, that has actually been playing extremely well really the last – I mean, they actually did pretty good under Rolovich until he uh, he wouldn't get, you know, get the shot and got fired. Um, but, you know, Washington State's actually been doing pretty decent. And this year they're pretty good. Now, they got plastered by Arizona 44-6. to six. Uh, Shocked where that came from. 
Uh, but nonetheless, Colorado then goes to Pullman to play Washington State. And then they're in their season at Utah. And Utah is a tough place to play. So th- legitimately, legitimately, Colorado can lose the last six games. They need two more wins to get to the bowl game, to get to a bowl game. And at one point, it looked like not only were they not, were they going to easily make a bowl game, that we were potentially talking about them for, I mean, I don't know. I feel like people were trying to say, or the media was trying to push them for <laughs> um, making the college football playoff. Like, I just feel like that was not really discussed, but it just felt like it was kind of the way it was going. Uh, but then, hey, one of the topics I haven't covered yet, the Pac-12 is best conference of football. I don't know when the last time I've said that. I don't know if I've ever said that, uh, being especially a fan of – I'm from the Midwest, so I tend to uh, – I'm not a Michigan fan. I'm not an Ohio State fan, not a Penn State fan. I'm not a Wisconsin, Michigan State, none of that. I'm not an Alabama fan. I am a fan of good football. But I'm also biased towards, and I'm admitting that, I'm, I'm biased towards the football I was brought up on. And I'm even talking about that from my coaching perspective. When I coached football, which I do plan to get back into it, um, I've always had a mentality that instilled in my players that led to Big Ten-style football. And when I say Big Ten-style football, you are talking about something completely different than the Pac-12. Okay, Pac-12, go watch Washington offense, offensively. That's the Pac-12. Now, Oregon, I feel like Oregon's a little bit different. They bring on the, 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 um, the mentality of Dan Lanning, and Dan Lanning is a SEC guy. So he's bringing some of that SEC mentality attitude to Oregon. And that's going to be interesting blend. That's going to be an interesting blend. However, I am biased to the Big Ten. So even in my coaching, I run a lot of heavy personnel, meaning multiple tight ends, three backs, I formation, you know, uh, um, pro style offense. I believe in my my you know my two backs, my fullback, a tight end, two receivers. Um, it's just it's it's just who I am. So that's what I am biased towards. So yes, Pac-12 does this. They throw the ball all, all over the yard. Big Ten, they do this, right? Wisconsin. The only team you had in the in the Pac-12 that was that style was Stanford, and that is now gone. With the with with David Shaw being, you know, David Shaw moving on. That was the end of that era. Um so legitimately, and I kind of got off the rails a little bit there, but this is this will be interesting to see what happens with Colorado with these last five games. Because again, we were talking about them easily going to a bowl game. And now we're talking about that they could actually lose six straight games. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I noticed in that game was uh, against Stanford was, you know, trying to get 
uh, Travis Hunter back into the into the swing of things after missing what was it three games? Did he miss three games? Because he missed yes. He missed the the S. He missed the the Oregon game, right? He missed the Oregon game, the SC game, and he missed the uh, Arizona State. Now they barely beat Arizona State 27-24. and then he came back for the Stanford game. Now trying to after missing three games, I felt like the one of the mistakes that they made. And put f- fully put it on Prime, and I'm sure Travis was one of those kids that said, no, nah, Coach, I'm playing, and Prime believed in him, right? That's kind of what you have to do to your star player. I, I find it hard that his first game back, he should have been, he sh- you know, to be to play him that many snaps. It was pretty obvious that he was, he was not conditioned. It's not his fault. That's not his fault. He had a lacerated, um, oh my goodness, was it a lacerated liver? Lacerated liver, which means he can't condition. So then why why would he come in and play that many snaps? That's my only question. There should have been some type of restriction on him so he doesn't basically beat himself into the ground because what ended up happening was Stanford saw, and Stanford's got a really good receiver. I can't think of that that kid's name, but that boy is something else. They saw he was tired, and they went after him. Okay? So, enough about Prime. Okay. We'll find, we'll see kind of how the season goes, uh, and you know what ends up what end up happening with these next five games. It should be really interesting because those are all five teams that they could easily lose to. That are, I'd say, three of them are better than Colorado, and then the other two, you know, the other two meaning Arizona, which is kind of a juggernaut. We'll see what they really are. How real was that Washington State win, and then how real is Washington State after losing? you know, about 38 points to Arizona. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, But then I'm going to go to something that I I am very biased about. And now we're going to go to the NFL. uh, And I am a 49ers fan. I've been a 49ers fan since I was nine years old. I'm now 50 years old. So 41 years I've been a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. And that would be 1982. It was the year that they won their first Super Bowl against... If he's listening, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, and I say that a friend of mine uh, that I worked with, uh, the Power Five level, we've become you know pretty good friends. Um, he is a Bengals fan. Uh, for the life of me, I don't know how you become a Bengals fan not living in Ohio, but he somehow found his way to doing that. And I hope he didn't subject his rest the rest of his life to uh, non Super Bowl purgatory. I'm a little worried that he did. Uh, and he's not from Ohio, so th- there's no excuse there. He's actually from the Bay Area. And um, I-, I worry about him. I worry about him. Because uh, he made a mistake by not becoming a 49er fan. And they play in two weeks, I think, maybe three, two, three weeks. So him and I will have some good banter going back and forth. But. I'm going to touch on this Brock Purdy thing, and I'm going to touch on it. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I feel like I need to, and I'm going to segue into another topic regarding that. I see a lot of um, 
Is he elite? Is he not? Is he a system quarterback? Is he not? Um, he was the seventh, you know, the last pick in the draft. Um, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. He's got all this talent around him. If he was here, if he was in another with another team, he wouldn't be this good. And I'm gonna say something, and I feel like um I am a fan of Brock Purdy. Uh I'm a fan of whoever is the 49ers quarterback. Why? Because from a coach's perspective, I trust the coach. I'm not one of those people who will sit there and say, what the hell are you doing? Why would you do that? Because I understand and I, I, it, I, it, it irks me when I read people questioning play calls as if there's some high majority of people who understand what it takes to actually call a play to prepare an offense to go against a defense. 90 plus percent of people who are watching this game has no clue what it takes, has no clue what goes into preparing an offense during the week of practice for a defense. Like at the Power 5 level and the NFL level, they literally have staff who that's their job to break down the opposing side of the ball. So what I mean is if you're on offense, they have staff who they it's their job to break down the defensive tendencies and present it to the offensive coordinator. Or it could be the head coach, depending on who, like for the 49ers, that would be Kyle Shanahan. Right, he's the play caller. For the for the the then you got guys who are on offense, and their job is to break down an offense to give to the defensive coordinator. Or in some in some spaces, that would be the head coach, depending on who it is. So the whole I, I get that we're in the social media world and and um you know when I see these pages that uh these team pages that say so-and-so team lost 17 to 10. What do you think about it? I just cringe at it because I'm like, oh my God, please don't give these people more ammunition to bash something that they literally know nothing about. Far be it from me, I have to be the one to go in and read people's comments and piss myself off. Anyway, no different than Brock Purdy. Right. No different than the quarterback of my team. I support Kyle Shanahan. I support his moves. I support John Lynch. I support their draft picks because they're going to make mistakes. I'm not one to sit there and say, oh, they missed that guy. What were they doing with Trey Lance? That's that's an entirely new topic that I have not discussed yet is the Trey Lance issue. And I've seen a lot of takes on that and they are absolutely ridiculous. Um. I trust those guys. It does not mean they're going to hit every single one of them. Um, so I'm going to stick to Brock Purdy for a minute here. And I'm going to say something that I have not, uh, I have heard a few people say, and I've thought this for a long time. Every quarterback in the NFL is a system quarterback. We need to stop using that as though it is a negative. And here's my meaning with that. 
I can't really think of any quarterback in the NFL. And maybe, I, maybe I'm going too far by saying every quarterback. Maybe I should just say majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL are system quarterbacks. We coined that term and have defined, and we have we have made it a negative comment, right? We call them like they're the point guard of the offense. So Brock Purdy is now a uh, he's just a ball distributor. Well, no kidding. That's what a quarterback does. They distribute the ball. They pass. Literally, their job is to throw the ball to a teammate. Like, let's go back to elementary school here. They throw the ball to their teammates. Brock Purdy is a system quarterback. Guess who else is a system quarterback? Lamar Jackson. He's a system quarterback. Okay? Lamar Jackson ain't going to go to Miami and rip it up like to a, like to a tug of Viola. That's not his game. Tua, if Tua went to Baltimore, if if you took Lamar Jackson and Tua and flipped them, they would not do the same thing. Why? I've already explained the Lamar Jackson going to Miami thing. But Tua going to Baltimore, he doesn't have those kind of receivers. Tua is phenomenal with chucking the ball to the fastest receiver in the league. Who he trusts will, if he is, if 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 uh, 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 Tyreek Hill is two steps not behind, but he hasn't even passed the DB yet. Tua can throw the ball. If there's no safety over the top, uh, you know, you know, whether it's single high or 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 uh, too high. If there's no safety sitting over the top, he can go ahead and throw the ball. Why? Because he know by the time the ball gets to a spot, Tyreek Hill's going to beat that guy. He ain't got that in Baltimore. He's going to have to throw over the middle. He's going to have to throw out routes. He's going to have to throw slants. There is no deep threat. Tyreek Hill takes the roof off the top of a defense. He forces you as a defensive coordinator to respect deep. Not to mention, not to mention Mike McDaniel's play calling and his play structure. His play structure, he sets his plays up where Tyreek is the touchdown threat. And you absolutely, as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive player, you have to respect it. You have no choice, or you will get burned. Not to, and oh my God, Jalen Waddle, like he's good. Okay, like he's good. So I'll just use those two because I don't think Tua can go to any other team and play and do this good. I don't think Lamar Jackson can go. He can't go to Buffalo. And do what he does? He can't. He would be exposed, which is the the, the term that I see a lot of people using with Brock Purdy based on this Cleveland game, that he was somehow exposed. Now, there are some people who are defending it, saying absolutely not. They're looking at specific. they, They see that the offensive line was beat up. Like, I'm literally watching Chase Daniel, former NFL quarterback for a little while, former Missouri star, 
watch he's got a uh, um a, some youtube videos out where he breaks down brock purdy and he breaks down that cleveland game and he's showing you how many seconds he did have he had to throw the ball against cleveland because miles garrett was literally in his ass why because trent williams was actually injured but didn't want the second string guy to go in there against one of the best pass rushers in the game. So he stayed in there, did the best he could, but he got ate up. But these Nick Wrights of the world won't talk about that. Okay. So, and then there's the side where people go too far with defending him. Okay. Shannon Sharp said he's not elite. I agree. I don't believe you can be elite in 11 games. It takes time. He might have elite numbers. He might be playing at an elite level. That does not make him Joe Burrow. That does not make him Josh Allen. It does not make him Patrick Mahomes. You might be able to say, I see his ceiling as being one of those guys two years down the road. Sure. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think I see it, but I'm 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 reserving full opinion. I want to let him do it. I don't need to label him. He's elite. He's this. He's a bust. He's whatever. I don't need to let him play. And I'm going to go back a little bit. Jared Goff, system quarterback. Sure, the Rams got to a Super Bowl with him. Why did they ship him out of town? Jared Goff is the was to the Rams as Jimmy Garoppolo was to the Niners. He was the guy who can get him as far as he can get him. And it, it, he couldn't get him any further. Because he had limitations. They couldn't wait to get him out of town. Now look at him in Detroit. Because Jared Goff is best as a pro-style quarterback. In a run-heavy offense with a great defense. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what fits. The whole purpose of the draft, free agents, is not just to go get the best player, but it's the best fit. Just like a coach, you got to get the best fit. Jared Goff did not fit with the Rams. He fits perfectly with the Lions. Those are com two completely different offenses. Uh, Sean McVay is a innovative coach. From the he and Shanahan are actually buddies, and they come from the same school of school of thought, school of offense. Detroit's offense is not that; it is phenomenal in its own way. That's where Jared Goff fits. He is a system quarterback. Matthew Stafford is a system quarterback. He needs to get the that. Sure, play action, but I see him more as a get me five yards behind the center, 
Shotgun. Give me four wide, five wide. Maybe three. I'm going to throw the ball all over the yard. That's what he did in Detroit. That's what he's best at. If you put him in Detroit now, you'd be, you, you wouldn't be using his talent to the extent that it could be used. You'd be limiting him. Now he's in his older age, so that's a little different. But I'm going to say every quarterback is a system quarterback, and that is going to lead me to my next topic. When people say Brock Purdy is 11-1 and one or 10-1, and one, <sighs> frustrates me. No, he's not. He's zero and zero. Okay. Brock Purdy is zero and zero. Why? Brock Purdy has never lost a game. He's never won a game. He led a team as the quarterback is, you know, the leader. Because he's the one with the ball in his hands the most. My next Topic is wins and losses are not a QB stat. They never have been. And I understand that that is the media's way of, because that's really where it comes from. And you got fans that just buy into it completely. And it's so frustrating. And I can I recall a conversation where I'm explaining to somebody. I said, explain to me how when I hear somebody say, uh, um, Patrick Mahomes beat, um, oh my God, so-and-so quarterback, Josh Allen. When? When were they on the field together? That's what beat means. That's like LeBron James beat Kevin Durant. Okay, I'll give you that. Or Kevin Durant beat LeBron James. Yeah, because they're on the same court together. They play defense and they play offense. Right? And, and they turn the, the ball changes just like that. So, yes, they go back and forth on defense and offense. It's not like they call timeout and they got 50 timeouts and they just call uh, or they can just go subbing out in the middle of the play. No. When here's my favorite one. My favorite one is Eli Manning is two and zero against Tom Brady. What in the good lord? Nauseating. Okay. Eli Manning did not beat Tom Brady. The New York Giants beat the New England Patriots twice. In the Super Bowl. Does anybody remember? Oh, I don't know. The helmet catch. Did you see when Eli Manning threw the ball? He literally was playing Lucky Charms. I'm just going to throw this as I'm falling to the ground. And my Lord, I certainly hope somebody catch it. Oh, or Tom Brady was whatever record against Peyton Manning. No, he wasn't. They were never on the field together. Let me explain to you 
when they the only there there are three times when the two quarterbacks are on the field at the same time. Beginning of the before the before the snap before the uh, uh, pregame when they're all warming up. That's one. Halftime when they're all walking off the field in their respective directions, whether it's in the same direction or it's in opposite directions. They happen to be on the field at the same time. And the end of the game. Other than that, when Tom Brady was on the field playing, where was Eli Manning? Eli Manning was on the sidelines. Literally having nothing to do with the outcome of the game while he's on the sideline. Vice versa, when Eli Manning is on the field, where was Tom Brady? He was on the sideline. He was on the sideline doing what? Talking to his coach. Talking to the offensive line. Talking to the receivers, running backs, looking at some film, right? Um, or just sitting there waiting for his defense to maybe, you know, create a turnover or give up a score so he can go back on the field. Why do we act like a quarterback is on the field for every play? Like if he went out there and played safety, okay. I got you. Then we can start using that. They don't. They don't play special teams. They don't kick. They don't punt. They don't play gunner. They don't tackle anybody unless they get an interception, unless they give, unless they give up an interception. Why are we placing win losses on a quarterback who's at a position where he's on the field somewhere around half the time? There's an entirely different set of players who comes out on the field to stop the opposing quarterback. It is a team sport. There are 22 to, I guess you could say, just the entire 53-man roster that actually um, has something to do with the outcome of the game. So why don't we say, um, I don't know, let's say Justin Jefferson. How about we say he's two and four right now this season? Why Kirk Cousins? Like, let's 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 find somebody who might actually be on the field the same amount of time. Let's use uh I'm trying to think of their I, I know the Niners getting ready to play the Vikings, so they got their their defensive end who uh I think leads. I'm not sure if he leads the NFC or the or the league in sacks, but I heard about they got a defensive end who will be on Trent's side that has quite a number of sacks. Well, why isn't he two and four? Because he's probably played just as many snaps as Kirk Cousin. What about Micah Parsons? I don't know. He's out there. He's probably got just as many snaps as Dak Prescott. That is my rant. It irks me to hear it. And I know the media pushes that so hard. They plaster up onto the screen. Quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen will take on two of them. No, he won't. The Buffalo Bills will take on the Miami Dolphins. So-and-so team will take on so-and-so team. These quarterbacks are not dueling against each other. 
They're not. They're never on the field. They don't touch each other until the end of the game when they give each other some dap and say, hey, man, good game. That's it. Kind of leads to the next topic, NFL power rankings. So I found it, uh, I, 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 and I'm, I'm also using the Stephen A. Smith version of uh, his, uh, his, his top five um, NFL teams because he was the one who started this. So um, he had the Niners, Eagles, Lions last week. And then now this week it's the Lions, I think Dolphins. Then I think it's the Niners and the Eagles, something like that, right? And so what I laughed about was, <laughs> so, and I don't really care who, I don't, I'm, yes, I'm a Niner fan. I could care less where, what, what the NFL power rankings say, right? It has no bearing on uh, how good a team, uh, like, <laughs> has no bearing on how far a team's going to go, none of that. So I don't care. I just found it funny that all of a sudden the Lions were three, right? The Niners were one. The Eagles were two. The Eagles lose to the Jets 20 to 14, right? Like I get uh, Jalen did not look good against a really good defense. And the Niners went to Cleveland, lost to a third. See, that's how they get you right there. That somehow the Niners lost to a third string quarterback. They did not lose to a third string quarterback. He just happened to be starting. But they lost to the Cleveland Browns who have. I don't know if you saw the stats, but arguably. At this point. Their defense. Has the stats of. There, there, there is it. The best numbers or the best stats in the last 53 years. So the point is, because I'm not trying to make an excuse, like I, I they, 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 they lost the game. You can go up and down, a, you can go up and down the line about who didn't play. The Browns didn't have Nick Chubb, right? Didn't have Deshaun Watson. Uh, so you can go up and down the line. But what you're telling me is, and I saw some other people saying the same thing. That the Lions were number one. Now, it wasn't a lot of people. It was about two or three people. That the Lions are now number one. And so you're telling me that if Jake Moody's field goal is two more feet to the left, the Niners are still number one. I don't know how... Right, because we know if they were undefeated, they won that game, they'd still be number one, right? Again, still, most people still have them number one. So I'm really just nitpicking here. Where Stephen A. Smith, and there was somebody else. There's another guy who has a, a, a Carton, Greg Carton. I saw his rankings, right? And the NFL power rankings actually still, they don't have the Lions number one, right? So... But I did kind of have a little bit of a debate just being from Detroit with some people that, you know, Detroit. Yeah, they listen. The Lions have been a laughing stock forever. OK. So 
I try to give them their, their love. Like, hey, man, they're, they are actually a legitimately good team. But what you're telling me is you can't tell me that they are now number one because if that field goal is, if that, if that field goal is made, the Niners win 20 to 19 and they are still number one in everybody's book. And especially with the Eagles losing, they would have been even further number one, right? So you're telling me that that field goal just missed by, you know, like I said, probably about two feet, maybe three feet to be safe. And so three feet is the difference from one to three joke. It was like, if you didn't see that the NFL power rankings or again, I keep saying the NFL power rankings when it was Stephen A. Smith and it was Greg Carton who put the Lions number one. Those guys is like, are you just doing this for clicks? Because I know, I know there's a lot of ratings in making the hot take, even if it's 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 what Skip Bayless does, right? He'll say the most ridiculous thing to get people pissed off at him, and it's worked against me. Like, yes, I will turn, I will tune in, I tuned in all week to see him eat crow. Uh, after uh, the Cowboys lost by 32 to the Niners, right? So we want to make that hot take. Kendrick Perkins is great at that. He says some of the most ridiculous stuff, and it's like, oh, Kendrick, you've, you've gotten on that train too? No, man. Like, you don't change the teams because a, field, a team missed a field goal by three feet. Come on, man. Stop. All right. Last topic. And this was actually something that I, I I came across a video and I saw I just I said, you know what, I'm gonna cover that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that down. And actually, it happened. So I saw I saw a video of it, and then I'm watching the Saints and the Jags game, and I saw the tight end that that dropped the pass in the corner of the end zone. And that would have tied the game with about, I don't know what it was, was it 10 seconds left, 15 seconds left, maybe less than that. And then when the game was over, because they didn't convert on fourth down, which was actually a really good play by that rookie corner uh, for Jacksonville and against Chris Olave, who's a really good receiver, um, I saw on the sideline at the end of the game that that tight end, man, he was – they had to console him. I get it. You know what I mean? You love to see that passion that he dropped, that he dropped the pass wide open. Wide open. Yeah, he should have got it. Trust me, I understand. I will say it was it was a, maybe a little bit out of his reach. I'm not I'm not I'm not defending him saying it's okay that he dropped it. I get it. Like his hands were on it. And I'm not blaming Derek Carr at all. Like Derek Carr put it where you know where he should have caught it. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah. He did have to reach just a little for it. I got it. I, I got it still. He should have caught it. I got it. But I, as just as a coach, I see those things. And I just, I'm not one of those people that say, oh, he should have caught that. Like, I will see a guy falling out of bounds with one hand. Oh, he should have caught that. Come on, man. Come on, man. Right? Sometimes they go too far. The announcers go too far. That one, I wouldn't say they were too far. Yes, he should have caught that. But what I saw was the look on his face. Obviously, players coming over to console him. 
And the topic I'm trying to get to is, did he lose the game? Right? This is something that I've debated with people for quite a while. And I'll go back to punt returner uh, Kyle Williams for the 49ers. I forget what year it was. Maybe it was 2014 where he dropped. He was in the playoffs and dropped. Uh, he, he fumbled two punts. Maybe one was a kickoff and a punt, something like that. I didn't go back and look at the year and, and the, the, the exact circumstances. And they lost the game. And the, the, <clears throat> the narrative was Kyle Williams lost the game for the 49ers. I've always disagreed with that assertion. And I will guarantee you most coaches will disagree with that too. Because no one play loses a game. It's 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 basically that where where that came from is from people who never played football, from people who don't coach, and then that's what the media tells you. Those are the most influential people. Are the people who never played the sport, don't have anything to do with the sport. They will believe whatever the media says. So the next day, it'll be like that tight end. That's what you're going to see tomorrow. Watch. He lost the game. No, he didn't. Because you can't negate all however many hundred other plays it was in the game. You can't negate those. And that's essentially what you're doing. That somehow that one play. Right. You're forgetting about a penalty that gave a team. Uh, a continued drive when it was third and third and they stopped them on third and one and there was a face mask. Uh, where there was a, you know, a turnover, a pick six. I've always said Kai Williams did not lose that game. Yeah, that hurt. I was watching that game. As a Niner fan, man, I had on my Alex Smith jersey and everything. I'm in front of the TV and I'm not a yeller or a screamer. Like, I just kind of sit and, like, play the tense role. Uh, I'm, I shouldn't say play it, but that's just kind of how I am. I sit quiet. Um, I actually prefer not to watch the game around other people. Uh, it took me a while to even want to watch it around at the time with a bit of my ex-stepson. And for a time, I was like, you know, you can, you can go ahead and go in that room. I can watch this game by myself in my own piece. And then I got used to watching it with him. And now I got a five-year-old son and, you know, <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he's five. So he doesn't fully, he doesn't watch. He might, he might sit there for a few minutes, but he's going off to play with his racetrack or uh, something. And I'm like, okay. So I, I don't dive into games like I used to because, um, you know, I don't choose to, I don't desire uh, to just ignore my son for that amount of time. Uh, I give him the, his attention, but uh, nonetheless, <clears throat> you know, even then when that game happened, yeah, I was upset at Kyle Williams for that, but still I never thought to think, or I never thought to say, man, freaking Kyle Williams lost that game for us. No, he didn't. Like, I don't remember the stats, but I'm sure there was some third downs that we didn't get. That kept the drive going. That could have been a touchdown where, oh, I don't know. Maybe we wouldn't have needed him 
to, for, for, you know, we, we, we wouldn't have even needed, if that would have happened, we still would have won by a touchdown. Had the offense been able to sustain a drive or, or a drive that led to a touchdown. Uh, what about a missed field goal, right? So Jake Moody last week, Jake Moody lost that game for us. No, he didn't. Absolutely. He did not. He missed two field goals. Yeah. You can say, Oh man, see, well, if he hit those two kicks, well, that's 23, 19. Yeah, of course. But what about Brock Purdy's interception? That don't mean anything. What about the defense giving up 160 rushing yards to the backup running back and the third string quarterback? I mean, what about the injuries? Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and Trent Williams, because now his injury means he can't even he can't uh, uh, block Miles um, Garrett like. He was like he normally would. That was going to be a great matchup between those two. I was looking forward to that. Probably more so than the game itself, to be honest with you, just from a coach's perspective. But here we are talking about Jake Moody lost the game for us. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No one play will lose a game in, in any level of football. No one play will lose a game in any level of basketball. No one play of the game will lose uh, a game in hockey, right? Um, in any sport, whether it's tennis, golf, maybe golf is different. No, because their score, see, I'm not versed in, in golf well, but they still have their par where they like if they keep, they got to get into the negative. So if they miss, then they go back. So yeah, no, because what if they, I mean, if they miss their first three shots, then now they're way behind. They got to play catch up. So if they hit, yeah, same, same concept, same concept. I'm not going to sit and act like I'm some expert on golf. Uh, probably watch golf a good 10 times my whole life, right? U.S. Open and all that stuff doesn't do anything for me. The Masters, I could care less. But the point is, and I've always believed this because I've had it happen to my own players. No one play can lose a game and no one play can win a game. No one play is the reason you won a game or lost a game. All the plays collectively are how you won or lost a game. You can go back to the to Super Bowls. No different. Scott Norway in 1991 against the against the, from the, the the Buffalo Bills kicker uh, against which would that would have been the New York Giants when they lost when the, the Bills lost their first of four Super Bowls 20 to 19 that score Scott Norway missing that field goal was not the reason the sole reason they lost that Super Bowl it was one of the reasons it was not the sole reason. And unfortunately, then after that, the next three got worse and worse for the Bills every year. Like the score just got worse and worse. Um, and I don't know if anybody ever realized this, but they were all NFC East teams, if I'm not mistaken. They lost to the Redskins. They lost to the Giants. They lost to the Cowboys twice, I believe. They were all NFC East teams. Anyway, 
a little bit of history there, but uh, so nonetheless, um, my buddy, they did not lose the game because the sole reason that they lost the game was not Joe Montana hitting uh, um, to John Taylor. Why am I forgetting that? Oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed to myself. Uh, hitting uh, John Taylor over the middle for that touchdown with 34 seconds left. It's a combination of plays. It's the culmination of the game itself, which is why the 49ers end up winning. That final drive, them giving up that final drive, that's not why they lost. It's one of the reasons. But let's not forget that they also gave up 13 other points at some point during that game. Had they scored one more touchdown, guess what Guess what? Guess what? it would have been? They would have won 23-20. Or that score, um, because it was 2016, so I can't use a field goal. So never mind that. I was going to say a field goal would have tied the score, but can't. So anyway, that is my time. I appreciate you uh, listening to me as I uh, rant and talk about the sport that I love the most, football. Uh, chess on grass, as I call it. Um, you know, I will be back next week to discuss some things after this weekend. I won't see as much because I'll be working quite a bit this weekend, uh, but I will try to catch up on some stuff for you. Um, and then we can have another discussion. Should be fun. I appreciate you. Thank you. Bye.